This is Colossus, and you are listening to The High Regard Show. The High Regard Show. It's... It was so fucking money. That was like the Jedi mind shit. Check out The High Regard Show. New episodes every Monday. Hey everybody, I'm Tom. And I'm Nikki. And this is the High Regard Show. In which we talk about things we hold in high regard. Very high. High above Harlem. Way up on the third floor. Moving on up. Oh, it don't get better than that. No, sir, it doesn't. Hello everybody, and welcome to show number 57. 57? What? 57. And I'm still having issues with my microphone. Will it never come to an end? Never. And I, you know what? I'm glad. I'm glad that it gives you something to complain about. Well, but you can't be upset when I complain then. So if you're glad that I have something to complain about and then I can complain, you just got to sit there with a smile on your face and be like, oh, mission accomplished. No? I'm sitting here with a smile on my face. Oh, okay. <laughs> Our listeners enjoyed that immensely just now. <laughs> <laughs> so... Another week, another guest. Another week, another guest, yes. That is just how it rolls. It is. It is how we roll. All right. Well, why don't we get into you heard so we can get to what the people really want to hear. Which is not us talking. Which is not us talking. <laughs> they want to get a guest. They don't give a shit about us. They do. I think they, they do give don't. a shit. Our own parents don't give a shit about us. They only want to talk to the kids. Well, my mom gives a shit about us because she's always nosing in and stuff, but... Yeah, I'd rather not be cared about. <laughs> <laughs> you don't mean that. Yes, I do. So let's get to a yard. <laughs> This week's You Heard, like one from a few weeks back, comes to us from Radio City Music Hall again. I love Radio City Music I do. Hall. It was a really cool venue, All especially right. to see ELON, because the sound quality there, incredible. Magnificent. So, as we're walking out, yeah. this gentleman is walking in front of us. What was his name? Spicoli. Like, he was like an older Spicoli, All like right. a Jeff Spicoli from, All right. what was the name of that movie? Um, fast times, fast times high. Original high. Yes. Well, if just because you say it faster than me doesn't mean that you remembered it before <laughs> me. I already started it. So why don't you get to your uh, quote there that you overheard? You eavesdropping son of a bitch. So we were. Everybody was just like you know euphoric after this ELO show, and like we were both just like wow, like it was such a great show, and blah 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 blah. And this guy was high as a kite, and he goes, and I quote, "I feel like I just got off a UFO." Oh, he's so original. <laughs> huh? He's so original. <laughs> We've seen nothing but video screens of UFOs and planets and shit. This guy feels like he just got off a UFO. But that's the power of the music. Like, it takes you to another place, which coincides with this week's game. It sure does. So that was this week's you heard. You hated that I ended your herd before you did. No, I don't really care. One way you did other. because you got like a, a big old sourpuss. You did. You got a sourpuss. I didn't get a sourpuss. You did. I was just saying the words, but I didn't really have a sourpuss. You did. So have I don't a really care what your rhetoric is. You are a sourpuss. Why don't you just tell us <laughs> who the hell we're talking to this week? So this week's guest was really, really cool to talk to. His oh. name is Neil Morse, and he is the front man and vocalist and keyboardist and guitarist for the Neil Morse Band, oh. which features Randy George on bass, Eric Gillette on guitar and vocals, Bill 
Bauer on keyboards and vocals, and some guy named Mike Portnoy on drums I and vocals. I think I know that guy. I think I know that guy, too. <laughs> um, we actually saw one of uh, Mike's many bands, uh, the Winery Dogs at PB Kings a few years back. He was also, um, you know, he did a long stint with Dream Theater, which is like, you know, a really huge band. And he also played with um, Transatlantic, which is a Neil thing. Like, he and Neil have been a collaborators for, like... Over a decade. Like, almost 20 years they've been together. Oh, almost two decades then. Yeah, like How a decade math? and a decade. Quick, quick, quick math. It was, a, it was a lot of math right there. All right, well, like, I mean, we got through it. Inside. We got through it. <laughs> but the Neil Morse Band, um, with this, you know, with Neil, Mike, Randy, Eric, and Bill, are releasing their second album together, mm-hmm. and it's called The Similitude of a Dream. Say and that three times quickly. I actually had to do, like, a Google search to make sure that I, like, pronounced the name right, because I was calling it a similitude. <laughs> and I was like, thank God I looked this up. How but about it, how, how does that album similitude dreaming? <laughs> That's not me. It's not. It says so in my notes. But it's actually like it was inspired by this book called um, Pilgrim's Progress. I'm saying progress because it sounds very fancy. Even though it's, you know, progress. It's progress. Yeah. It's cool. And actually, the original title of the book is The Pilgrim's Progress from this world to the that which is to come delivered under the similitude of a dream. And it's by John Bunyan. And guess what year that book was written? Paul Bunyan. It wasn't Paul Bunyan. It's John oh, Bunyan. Man. Might be his brother. No, I was guessing the year. The year is Paul Bunyan? In the year of Paul Bunyan. In the year of Paul Bunyan. Was it? Otherwise known as 1678. Yes. And this book that's a yes. was written in 1678, so that's like a million years ago. Yes. And it's never been out of print. Which is so bizarre. What is the book about? Do we know what the book is about? I'm just gonna go ahead and read this because, like, I was you, reading. You its read wi- it. You read it. I was reading its Wikipedia page, and I'm like, I'm out. All right, then do it. The book chronicles the spiritual the spiritual journey of a man from the city of destruction to a place of deliverance. So, the funny thing is, is how like I was just like, I can't even deal with this. Like, just trying to read its Wikipedia page. Yes. <laughs> Neil. Who based this entire album, which isn't even just an album. It is a double album that runs almost 100 minutes. Hold on, though. What? It's prog rock. It is prog rock, yes. It's a, so a double album could be four songs. <laughs> so it's not like, I mean, you know, no, it's an accomplishment right. to have that much music. But I really, at the end of the day, he wrote four songs, basically. <laughs> You're right. Like, you're totally right because prog rock does tend to go on its tangents and go off into different worlds and other worlds. But the funny thing is, is that Neil never even read the book. I'm not surprised. (laughs) If I couldn't make it through the Wikipedia page. Because he probably read the Wikipedia page of the book and goes, I think I got something. He did Spark Notes, which I think is like today's version of like buying Cliff Notes, which. Oh, my God. I had so many cliff notes for, like, Shakespeare and shit. My God. Well, why don't we um, load up the footage of this interview and see what this uh, four-song cheater has to say about his music right now. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of footage, though? That fabulous bean footage. Hi, Nikki. Hi, it's Neil Morse. Hi, Neil. Thanks so much for talking to the High Regard Show today. We're really excited to have you on the show. Oh, well, thank you. So, of course, I want to start off by talking about The Similitude of a Dream, which is going to be released on November 11th. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about how it um, came about being informed by John Bunyan's 1678 book, The Pilgrim's Progress, which you confess to never have read? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I still haven't read it all, actually. Um... Well, somebody sent me an email, and I think it was a forward from a Facebook post that uh, um, I think a fan sent in. Uh, I've become known as the progressive rock concept album guy right. uh, in recent years, and so people send me all kinds of ideas. Sometimes people show up at the house, and they'll, they'll have an idea for me, and some of them <laughs> have actually become albums. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so uh, when I sat down to write uh, last December... I was really feeling inspired, and I started to write some music, and I really was feeling it, you know. But I, I, I didn't feel like I had any lyrical direction. 
Right. And sometimes having a story really will will really drive the music and drive the whole uh, project, the lyrics and all. So um, I, I remember that the guy had mentioned that. I don't even know how long ago it was. <laughs> but uh, I thought of the Pilgrim's Progress thing and... So I didn't own the book, so I just Googled the, the spark notes and, and uh, started just to write some little germ kernel ideas, and that's how, that was the beginning of it. And do you think you'll ever, you know, end up reading the book? Uh, yes, yes, I promise. <laughs> I kind of feel guilty about it. <laughs> <laughs> and so you started writing the album in, in, um, in December, you said. So, you know, how long was it from December to, like, when we reached this final product that we have today? Well, the release date's November 11th, but um, the, the, that was the first sort of wave. It was me by myself. Okay. And then um, four of the band members came to my uh, studio in January, and we, we, I wasn't sure if we were going to do that or do something else. Mm-hmm. It was really, you know, it's really kind of up to the band at that point. You know, I, I said, well, I, you know, I kind of have these ideas, and I believe I sent them all my notes from my phone. Like all of my audio notes, I just recorded all these little rough ideas. And there was a few that some of them liked, and we started to work on those things. And then the ideas that they brought in seemed to fit into the concept, and we just started writing. And we wrote a rough sketch of what would become, you know, maybe the first mm-hmm. half an hour or so of the album. And then we got together, Mike Portnoy, the, uh, our drummer, he came uh to the studio, we got back together in March, and that's when we really wrote the album, and it all came together then. And was it always the intention to make the band's second album, you know, a concept album that ran, you know, nearly a hundred minutes? Oh no, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Mike didn't really want it to be a double, and okay. I, I don't think he was so keen on the concept either. Um, you know, he he didn't have any kind of relation to it at all, right. even less than. The rest of us, you know, and uh, no, there was there was quite a bit of resistance, and and I didn't, you know, I wasn't totally hooked on it either. But as we started to work on it, it just seemed like that was the that was the direction that we needed to go. I mean, sometimes the music calls you forth, right? And it was that was that way in this case. And, and you know, you you said that Mike was kind of resistant, and then you know, now that the album's done and ready to go, he said that he thinks that it's you know one of, it's like the definitive album of your careers. So that's really interesting that you know it that's is. what he chose. <laughs> Does it was crazy? <laughs> we had what I call miserable Monday and then Miracle Tuesday. <laughs> we had this horrible day in the studio. I mean, we were just Mike and I honestly were just button heads and it was it was rough we finally just quit in the evening and uh that's never happened before okay. and uh and then tuesday tuesday morning i woke up really early and then wrote a lot of stuff for the second disc that i thought would work and and mike came in with a whole different attitude and he had he came in um you know well he he, he just had a different attitude and a different spirit mm-hmm. and 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 uh, apologized to all of us, and and he, the, from then on he was like totally enthusiastic. And then when we finished it, he was just blown away, and uh, it was it was quite a miraculous transformation. <laughs> and does him, you know, saying something that this is like the definitive album, does that put any kind of pressure on you know what could possibly be next for the band? Sure, it also makes me wonder. You know, I'm kind of really of hyping something up so much because I'm afraid that that will set the expectation so high that maybe it will taint the listening of it. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes with movies it's like that. If somebody hypes up a movie so much, I'll be like, well, it wasn't that great. You know right. what I mean? Right. And uh, so that was a little bit of my concern, but uh, <laughs> so far all the reviews are a 10 out of 10 that I've seen. And, and so... Uh, I, I I think uh, Mike's very intuitive about these things. I think he's right. And I've been listening to it, you know, all morning while I was prepping for this, and, and it's such a great album. It's so intricate and rich. Is it difficult, you know, to transition that sound from the studio to the stage? You know, especially, you know, like for someone like me who's not musical at all, I can only imagine, you know, how hard that must be. It is. Yeah, it is. Oh, it's a lot of work. It's very difficult. And... um you know, I, I think everyone understands that that, that uh, in the world of the studio, many times there's 
more layers and more mm -hmm. tracks than you can recreate exactly like that live. I don't think people expect it to be exactly like the record live, you right. know. So it, it'll be different when we play it live slightly, but we're a, we're a pretty strong band. I mean, it's going to be an amazing tour. Absolutely. The, when we play it live, it's going to be very powerful, I know. Yeah, I can't wait to see it in uh, New York when you guys hit. I think it's in February is when the show in New York is, so I'm really looking forward to that. And, you know, you've collaborated with Mike um, since the late 90s in several different bands over the course of nearly 20 albums. What is it about working with him that is so special for you? Well... Mike's gifts are so numerous; it's it's hard to to uh, calculate them all. I mean, you know, not only is he arguably one of the best drummers in the world, but mm -hmm. he's also an amazing producer. He's an amazing arranger. He has great instincts, and we're also you know really good friends. And uh, so I appreciate him very very much he's he's an amazing person he has an incredible incredibly gifted mind mm -hmm. like has and, and how long upon meeting him did you realize you know that you two were kind of for lack of a better word you know musical soulmates do you kind of cat the do the two of you categorize your relationship a little different you know a little better than using the word soulmate uh <laughs> yeah i don't know if i would say that quite that way but uh yeah, I had no idea, I mean, when we met, that we would, you know, we would be so intertwined. I mean, mm -hmm. it's been a long, long, very interesting road. But yeah, we just, we, we, we like the same stuff. We think alike uh, in a lot of different ways. And we're very different in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. I think, and that's good. Right. You know, uh, like any kind of uh, collaboration, you know, you want somebody to bring something to the table that you don't provide. Right. And Mike brings a lot of things that I don't provide. Um, he, he brings a kind of overview and a kind of certainty about things that many times I don't, I, I might lack. Okay. And so uh, it's a wonderful thing for us to be together. And, and, you know, what is your creative process together? I mean, do you, is it kind of like how you explained, you know, this album, how you kind of were sequestered with yourself with, you know, coming up with concepts and then you guys meet? Like, how, how does that work when you guys are like ready to work on an album or a project together? Usually I, I work on uh, music and lyrics by myself mm -hmm. uh, first and we'll kind of submit them submit, you know, different ideas and demos and, and things. Uh, it depends on the band, mm -hmm. you know, it depends on if, it, if it's a Transatlantic or Flying Colors or the Neil Morse band. Right. Um, you know, I, I approach them a little bit differently, but yeah, I, I, do, I do some prep work usually, and, um, I, I, you know, I like to do little demos of these ideas, and I send them around to the guys, and then they kind of pick out the parts that they would like to work on, and and uh, generally, the other writers will do that as well. Okay. Mike doesn't pre-write. He's really he's really what I would call the gleaner. <laughs> he 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 gleans all the best parts out of everybody's okay. bits, and and he has an amazing capacity for fi figuring out good ways that they can fit together. And, you know, you've worked with bassist Randy George for more than a decade. Is it difficult, you know, to bring others into that mix? And in turn, is it hard for those other people, you know, and other musicians to get into the groove that the three of you have cultivated over, you know, the course of eight albums that you've worked on together? My God, has it been that long? Has it been over a decade? <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, it hasn't been. It hasn't been awkward or weird. or I mean, it seems like... Bill and the, the addition of Bill, Bill and Eric is just very, very natural. Uh, we all have tremendous respect for each other. I mean, just be, you know, those Bill and Eric are such amazing musicians, and we knew that, of course. You know, we started off as a live band playing the stuff that, you know, largely that I had written, and it, it was gelling so well that, we, that I... I thought, and it had, been, it had been suggested that maybe we would try to make an album as a band. Okay. And uh, wow, you know what a what an incredible thing the grand experiment was, and now this album, I think it's definitely working out. 
Great. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think it is too, for what that's worth. <laughs> and you've worked with so many other notable musicians as well over the span of your career. Is there someone, you know, living or dead, that you wish that you could work with? Oh, sure. You know, there's always <laughs> there's always people that you admire and would love to work with. I mean, I'd love to work with, with Peter Gabriel and, you know, Paul McCartney, if I could have my list to you know <laughs> whoever Elvis Costello I mean I, I have, I'm, I'm fans of a lot of different writers and musicians and uh, and then younger people you know I mean there's a lot of really talented great younger people you know young artists like uh, I, I really like John Mayer I really okay. I think Justin Timberlake's a very talented guy you know I mean, definitely out not like anything I would do but um, yeah I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of great people out there that I'd love to work with and, you know, and finally, you know, from glancing at your social media, it's really obvious that fans are super excited to listen to The Similitude of a Dream. What was the last album that you listened to that wasn't, you know, your own? Oh, uh, let's see. What was the last album that I listened to that wasn't my own? Well, uh, there's a guy that sent me his album. His name, he's unknown. His name is John Malay. And I listened to that and I really liked it. It's kind of like a folk Christian folk album. I really like that a lot. Uh, and um, John Mayer's uh, Born and Raised is, is uh, still, I mean, it's, it's been out for a long time now, but I, I still love that record. Wait, and um, the Anderson, the, uh, Anderson Stolt album is awesome. And uh, yeah. All right, awesome. Good stuff out there. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for talking to the High Regard Show, Neil. It was great to talk to you, and we look really, really forward to seeing you on the road next year. All right. Well, thank you so much, Nikki. Have a great day, sir. All right. You take care now. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that was my interview with Neil Morse. And there it was. What is so strange to me is that, <laughs> as we mentioned before we went to the interview, prog rock songs forever long. But they this... just keep on going. But number one, it's a double unlike album. jam bands, mm -hmm. you can listen to. I can listen. To, I can listen to a prog band. Yeah, but now, I can't listen to a jam and, band. And I am, and like this is like one of our biggest, like you know discrepancies when it comes to like our musical taste because we do like a lot of the same music but like i do love a jam band but i can't i can't go to concerts like i don't want to stand that long like i seriously remember when like i never got to see the real dead but i got to see like you know the second the second coming of the dead a couple years ago and i remember blacking out during like the 25 minute drum solo and everybody around me was just like that was the greatest you missed the great I'm like I literally like fell asleep for like 20 minutes everybody thinks that they get so high at a jam band show meanwhile they're just passing out from the smell of all that patchouli and <laughs> it is no no, I can't do but it. But there's just something that, like, about, like, but I mean, I do love the dead. Like, I love the dead, oh. but I love the studio dead. Like, no. and I would go, I would totally go to, like, a dead concert if I was, like, in the right frame of mind. To hear but one song before they flick the lights, the union's, like, going, all right, it's time to go, wrap it up. <laughs> but, like, the thing that I love about prog rock is that, like, they, they jam... But like there's But they don't. They do, but they don't. But like it's it's intelligent. It's not just like we're gonna go like trip balls over here. Like they have a like Prague tells a story. Yes. And this album, The Similitude of a Dream, is really, really good. Like I listen to it all day leading up to like my interview with Neil, and it is so good. Like every single song, you're just like, I want to know what happens because like it's just chronological kind of, and you're just like, shit. Like I don't need to read the book because you did a really goddamn good job. Well, as far as you know, as far as he I didn't know. read the book, his interpretation of the book <laughs> might be a little different than the book. So thank you, Neil. It's gonna be one of these books that I'm like, yeah, I actually did read like. You know how I pretend to like like certain books. <laughs> and just like in Joe Dirt, you're going to tell somebody like, I read it. I'm cool. They're going to be like, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> but if I could recommend one song from the Similitude of a Dream, you definitely need to listen to The Man in the Iron Cage. It is so damn good. All right. Let me tell you my thoughts on it. 
Okay. Not about the song, but about the difference between the jam bands and the prog rock bands. Okay. Never, ever, ever could I get behind Grateful Dead. Can't do it. Can't do it. It's an acquired taste. It really is. Or even like Fish, like... A couple of years back, I went to go on this fish experience because people were like, hey, let's go there. Not to go to the show, just to go and hang out and like watch I people in the parking lot. I hate them. And just walking around there, and I'm like going, this is a bunch of mud people. Like, I feel like- <laughs> Mud people. Yeah. Like, you know what it is? It's kind of like people who like went to Woodstock and just did like the like rolling in the mud shit and then like stayed that way for three <laughs> days. And then like eventually they became like- you know, to people who would like forge forward and they'd become like the metalheads later on down the road. Like all of those people like who are in Woodstock eventually like they didn't like stop at Woodstock. Like as, you know, Hendrix went on and started like going on like his guitar rampages, they started getting amped up. And then as mm-hmm. new music came out, like these people just kind of like went from one thing to the other thing and then mm-hmm. jumped on the Led Zeppelin bandwagon and just on and on and on. I feel like you're becoming a jam band of speaking right now. Well, it's it's all in, you know, context. <laughs> so <laughs> he he's my story woman. So, you know, that's kind of... The, what happened with jam bands is, is those people rolling around in the mud just got like so fucked up they were like going this is like our thing now like we're just gonna be like pig people and we're gonna listen to jam band music wait, where wait because before we like go like while you were speaking of fish I hate fish like I absolutely hate them but I saw Trey Anastasio like their guitarist singer whatever it is that he is whatever the, he's the ginger of the group I wouldn't even know and I saw him at the electric factory in Philadelphia like many moons ago and I'm standing there and it just like as a New York sports fan you know I tend to hate Philly like a lot because like the fans are just assholes and I'm sure Philly fans are like oh you Islander fans exactly. when you're listening <laughs> you dirtbags when, when you guys are like listing out your social <laughs> media comments <laughs> like seriously you're the cream of the that's crop of class there. that's neither here nor there but i'm at a trey anastasia concert right and i'm standing there and i'm just like why am i here like he was he played this guitar i mean and he's a great he is a really good guitarist like he he is like the guy's got talent and i'm standing there and i'm just like looking around the electric factory and i'm just like what the fuck am I doing here? How do you know a jam band guitarist is a good guitarist? He, he messes just, up, his, he just keeps going. What's just, it matter? There's because the no sound like structure. it sounded good. Like and I can't found like I don't under I can't do music. So like <laughs> but to, like I I don't know music. I, I can't fathom that somebody can can do that. So like to me I'm just like, okay, like that's cool. But like after like the first like ten minutes, I'm like, all right, dude, like move the fuck on. But as we're staying there and he's in the middle of this like twenty five minute solo or whatever like number 10 of like the show this guy just yells out so it's just trey and the band like just jamming and somebody just starts going from the balcony e a g l e s i'm glad we took a minute to like for you to spell out the whole thing but that's fine <laughs> people in philly will appreciate the because shout I out because i needed to like you can't not you can't just start spell like you have to you finish could. It. people would have known by the g but anyway <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to get a break in whatever it is that you, whatever tangent you're going well, the off the tangent's of. like this. Like I was saying from what you were just saying, you don't know when a song ends. It's It could be all the same song. It just, it's like, then it's like something else. And then it goes back into it. And it's like, and that part comes in a half hour later and you're like, holy shit, wait a minute. Was that all part of the same song? Seriously, that's what happened to me at the the Dead show, man. And then you're like, oh my God, the whole show was just one song. It's ridiculous. It's like when I fall asleep on the TV, like when we watch TV at night and I'm like, how long was I? out and i'm like because the last thing i remember was this and you were like you were literally out for like five minutes yeah like we're watching like 12 minute adult swim shows (laughs) and you're like i wonder what it is so i don't know i would say that the prog rock bands i like a little bit better because and here's the reason why do tell tom inquiring minds need to know there is always a story about it and i mean and you you know, because I dragged you along to like Yes shows mm-hmm. and Rush and things like that, where you go in and, I mean, God, you listen to like the trees or something like that from Rush and it starts off and they'll like just like go into a tear. But you know it's the same song the entire time. 
And you're just like going, man, I know what's coming up. Like, I know this is what the song is because here's the story about, you know, like about the trees and stuff like that. And yeah. how they're associated with the government or like Red Bar Cheddar and how like, you know, different fuels are going to be used in the future. Like there's a smart edge to prog rock. Yeah. yeah. Like fucking trucking, trucking. Anyone can be trucking. Who gives a shit about, tr oh, I'm, look at me, I'm trucking. That's a, so, that's a jam that band. But that's ridiculous. Like going, you wrote a song about something anyone can do. <laughs> Rush is writing about flying fucking cars and trees governing themselves. And the Neil Morse band is writing about a, a Christian allegory book from 1678. Prog rock. There's the difference. Like, it's smart. It's like here. And then jam they, bands are. Because our, <laughs> our listeners could see you doing that. But I will have you know. That once upon a time, mm, 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 yes, tell us. I I talked to somebody from Asia. I don't remember who, but I talked to Chris Squire of Yes once, and he was fantastic. Well, he's super oh, intelligent. To, I he mean, is. that's the thing. With in, in people who can write like that can usually articulate better because their brains have to think in story mode the entire time. So they're able to easily, I would think, translate a story. So when you ask them a question. It's entertaining, as opposed to some people. Like when you were talking to Neil, and I was listening to the interview about uh, that, you know, he went through. And even after we were talking about it, you were saying, "Man, I feel like it was a quick interview because he was so set up, so yeah. ready for the answers. Like it, he like answered everything. Like it was just I was streamlined." So yeah, so I was expecting because I was talking to this like, you know, this prog musician that he was gonna give me these like. And he was just like a normal, just, we just had a great conversation. And it was like, I w wasn't, he wasn't talking on this like scientific level, like you could imagine, like talking to other people might be. And it was just like a really good conversation. And it was just very succinct. And I was like, well, this wasn't really the long interview that I was really hoping for, but because I thought that he would go off on these things, but like he just has, like, you know, he has a really, like he knows exactly what it is that he's doing. But that's like the whole difference where I feel like if you would have talked to one of like Tommy Chong's band members, <laughs> it just would have kept on going forever. And we would have just been sitting here like, and it would have been, I wouldn't have had answers because it would be like, well, what are you trying to say? Like trying to do like a pull quote. Like I remember we're like talking to somebody from the dead once and it was just like, dude, like, what are you trying to say? Like, I don't understand. They don't even yeah. know what they're trying to say. <laughs> so huge fan of prog rock. Absolutely. Not yeah. so much jam bands in general. No. And this, I mean, like I really, really liked this album. Like the similitude of a dream is really, really good. It comes out on November 11th and I highly recommend you check it out because it, like the music is incredible. The, the songs are great and I, you definitely should check it out and you could find out more information about Neil on Neil Morse, M O R S in it's N E A L M O R S E.com. All right. And thank you so much, Neil, again, because, you know, we like talking to intelligent people. Because <laughs> we get so little of it from each other. <laughs> well, you know what else it is, too? It's just such a different genre of music. Like, it's mm -hmm. not like, like rock, I feel, can be like just fun and simplistic and sometimes mindless. Like, that's in a way why I like Weezer. And, you know, I know that for years you made fun of me for liking Weezer as much as I did. But it's like sometimes you just want to turn on sure, something yeah, mindless and just yeah. be like, going, all right, there's really nothing to it. And other times you want to like, you, you know. You want to get lost in the music. Yeah, you want to throw on like, yes. And then you're like going, all right, well, I know this song is going to be like 40 minutes. Like I can just kind of just kind of just melt into it yeah. and do whatever I'm doing. Yeah, and that's what was so great about this album is you kind of get lost in this guy's journey, you know, to the city of destruction. All right. So how about right now we dip into a little roly-poly roly? Sounds good to me. All right, do it then. Roly-poly roly. Roly-poly roly. I'm sitting here like, sounds good to me. <laughs> Don't sass me, woman. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right, so what's so been going on this week? <laughs> 
you are like still talking about food so much. It's, it's not going to end. It's man. really ridiculous. Like you're just like pulling out these things. Like I'm going to have this, and it's like no, you're not. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. When I was talking to like the doctor the other day, I was like. Because they were like, oh, oh, you're really excited because Friday, today, we're recording. And Mm -hmm. today, the diet changes again. And now there's like another whole bunch of new stuff that I can have. And it's getting to more real food for sure. Like last time, it was like all just mushy stuff. But now it's starting to be like going, all right, I can have shrimps. I can have like chicken. I can do, you know, like real food now. Like I'm to that point where I can do it when I'm not like dying of heartburn or anything else. Are you nervous? Because like... I'm kind of nervous because, like, you are just, like, talking about food so much that I'm afraid that, like, you're going to push yourself a little too far too fast. But I don't, though. Like, you've noticed that, like... I did notice that, but I'm just... I'm always wary. I'm a nervous Nelly. Yeah, of course. I mean, in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, and I know it can easily just slip up and just, you know, destroy all of this so easily. But it's not going to be destroyed on like amounts of food because I can only eat a certain amount of food before I like before feel you sick. Just physically feel sick. Whereas I can see me destroying it on like, wow, I can have one meal. I think I should make it a jar of hot fudge with a chaser <laughs> of whipped cream. <laughs> like if I'm going to destroy it, I feel like that's where it's going to go downhill. But I mean, <laughs> It's weird because even though there are times where I crave that jar of hot fudge, in my mind, I'm looking forward more to, like, different things that I'm staying like away from. Like what? Pizza. Like, I'm craving pizza. And you know we didn't have pizza that much. I mean, we'd have pizza, like, once in a while. Yeah, but, I mean, it wasn't, like, all the time. You know what I miss? What? Burgers? Yeah. I miss burgers, too. I, this but is the first time I'm admitting it to you, but my God, I think about burgers all the time. You can totally get a burger if you want to get a burger. You bur- can. I would stab you in the face if you ever ate a burger in front of me. But here's the problem with it, though. If you look at like what I'm allowed to have, they'll say you can have soft-prepared meats. You can have you know this. You can have this. And then... I know, like, bread isn't on there. So I know if I had a burger, I'd have to have it without bread. But But at this point in time, it's like, I don't care. But we've talked about this before. When you talk about a burger, you're not... What the hell was that? Go on. You just, like, flipped your hair like you were, like, Cheryl Ladd. (laughs) It's fine. It's something that happens. (laughs) My God. So go on. You just made me lose my train of thought. (laughs) I just, like, pictured you, like, on a beach in, like, a bikini, just, like, "Mm," with the wind flowing in my hair. I'm not. Anyway. Anyway. But yeah, like you, you like the burger meat. Like that's what you like. So like the bun is just like whatever. Well, that's it, and that's why Unless it's bear burger. Please stop it. Even the like when you guys had burgers the other night, because you made burgers the other I night. Made, yeah. Those buns looked ridiculous. We get we like, get blue I wanted apron. Those buns. Tyler and I eat blue apron now, and I made shrimp or um, shrimp burgers. Ill. I made pork burgers the other night, and they were good. They looked really good. But here's the thing, though. I would eat the burger without the bun. It's not that. But the thing is, like, it says, you know, in the in the dietary restrictions for this time around, it's like going, hey, listen, you know, you can have turkey, but, like, sliced turkey from a deli. But I can't have regular turkey. Which doesn't make sense to me because deli turkey is, like, seems to me like it would be so much worse for you. Because Processed, of like salted. Yeah, like, there's, you know, there's all these it's things bullshit in it. is what I have to say about it. So, my thing is, and, and I don't get to see the nutritionist now until next Tuesday. And then I can figure out, like, exactly what's going on. And the problem is, it's kind of like, well, where does turkey chop meat fall in the place? Does it fall under the category of... Turkey? Turkey. Or does it fall under the uh, deli turkey? Because... I can make a turkey burger, and I know that I would be satisfied with a turkey burger leading up to when I can start having, you so, know, beef again. So would you say that you find the instructions that you were given, like, confusing? Ridiculously confusing. I wonder You've read them. What do you think yeah, they're I, like? I read them every day almost because you're always like, can I have this? And then I have to read them and explain <laughs> it to you because you don't retain it. Because it's not that I don't retain it. It's that they're so confusing that I don't know what I read 15 minutes after I've read it. Because on one page it says, you know, something like. I can have X. Yeah, like you can have all, you can have soft meats now. And then you look and it's like in three months from now, I can can have, have, you know, soft meat. Yeah, Yeah, and it's like, well, what does this mean? Is this? I wonder if 
that's normal. And if like, you know, there's people that have had the surgery that are listening, you should definitely email us and let us know like what your doctors have told you because, you know, there's just such like a miscommunication or something. Like it's very strange that like you're kind of left up to these own devices. Yeah, and it's, I feel like now more than ever, you have to be so clear because this time right now, is like the time where you make up all of your bad habits. Mm-hmm. Like, cause it's the beginning. You you make up bad habits in the beginning, like you're fucked forever. It's kind of like an like if an athlete does something and you just like, let's say I ran track and cross country in high school. Mm-hmm. If when you're first starting out, you don't get a good technique, you're screwed forever cause you're not gonna break the technique that you learned. It's the same with any sport or any discipline pretty much. Like the way you learn, if that's the, what you do from the beginning and then someone down the road goes and says, oh, no, we have to break you of this habit, it's 10 times harder than it would be to teach me now. So as I'm going through, like, what's available for me to have, like, where I screwed up last week was I was having pineapples mm-hmm. because they were like, oh, you can have, like, certain canned things. Sure. And I'm like, great. And I'm like, pineapples in the can? Why wouldn't I be able to have that? Because of the sugar. Now my stomach is, like, torn to crap. And... I can't digest properly at all. And I'm like, okay. I don't understand why. And it's because of pineapple. But why wouldn't you just put on a list like these are the things you can 100% have? Yeah, and then, like it, it's, there should definitely be an easier way for you to decipher because you've got all of these other things that you're dealing with that you shouldn't have to like overthink what you're eating or potentially eat something that might make you sick. And that's it. And I want to stay true to the rules because I have been very, 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 very true to the rules so far <laughs> up to this point. And I think that's what drives me crazy a little bit without with talking about food so much and especially pizza lately. And because it's like, like I was telling the doctor, I was like, yeah, there's a lot more options now than what there was. But when somebody takes something away from you, that then becomes a thing that you want. Right. No matter what instance it is. I don't eat pizza a lot, but now all I can think about is pizza for whatever reason. Well, you'll soon be able to have, um, I think, the the next cycle, like after this two-week period is over, you're going to be able to have crackers and like crunchy things again, which I know that you're craving a lot. Yeah, well, crunch is like a big, big thing. Because you've been eating mush for the past month. Even longer because two weeks before that I was on a liquid diet. So you're looking at like six weeks without having anything crunchy at all. And at this point in time, I mean, I'm going through bariatric food groups now like online and just looking up what can I make and burn just so I can have something crunch (laughs) in my mouth. And I'll be like, oh, it's not cheating, man. I just burnt whatever it was to shit. And I'm like, now I'm trying to chew it. But – even the stuff that you can have, you can't even burn to make it crunchy. Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah, no, there's nothing that you could do. So, I mean, I guess that's the big thing as far as what thinking about the food is not being able to have it and whatnot. All right. Well, good to know. Yeah, so. All right. Well, I guess that's the end of this week's Roly Bully Rarity. All right. That could be it. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, boy. Ah, um. So how's work this week, Nikki? It's good. Busy. Busy, yeah. busy, busy. Busy beavers. And uh, today we had a special project. We did. We did. We got to go to um, a refurbished school up here in Harlem that was you know, repurposed for a boys and girls club and some residences for affordable housing. Which is starting to be like the new trend. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like all over New York there are these school buildings that for whatever reason, you know, lost budgets and then like eventually closed down. And then once they closed down, especially if they weren't in great neighborhoods, they got taken over by squatters. Mm-hmm. They got torn to shit. I and mean, nature, was... not just squatters, but nature. Yeah. Well, once the squatters move in, the police aren't going. They're just like, whatever, it's yours now. Take yeah. it. And then, you know, whatever goes through it, goes through it. But, I mean, there's this new trend now where I feel like these developers are coming in and they're buying these schools that are, like, falling apart. And now even if the developments around the schools, like, start to, like, thrive, Mm -hmm. those schools are still, like, just falling apart. And these developers now come in and they just go and make an amazing transformation of these buildings. And from what we saw today... As beautiful as the outside looked, because, I mean, 
amazing job from an overgrown school in the middle of like a city block to like this incredible structure. You can't imagine how even more incredible the inside of it was. Yeah, it was really awesome because I mean like it is in our neighborhood so we've been like walking past it for years seeing it like in this disrepair which was beautiful in its disrepair because like they like they say on like the stupid shows that I love on HGTV like the building had good bones like it was just a beautiful structure it had these huge windows like arches that were just incredible. The school was opened in like the early 1900s, like 1903 or something. And it was a school until like the mid 1970s. And then it just sat in disrepair, you know, from then until now. And you could tell like the amount of detail they put into it to make it like stay, you know, because because the, the guy who was in charge of the development part of the project was kept saying like how they had to keep like the integrity of the design mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I mean, it was... It was incredible, and it had beautiful windows, closets galore. Yeah, it was like a dream. And the studios were bigger, almost in our two-bedroom apartment. Yeah, like because some of them were like you know classrooms. Like there were classrooms like that these were like built into, and it was just like Jesus Christ. Yeah, so that was awesome, and we took some pictures for it, and like and nosy Nikki got satiated from you know being (laughs) by newsy Nikki's question. So nosy and newsy Nikki was very happy. Yes, and they did a (laughs) like a pretty decent long. They mean they spent a lot of time with us, Mm -hmm. and yeah, we we went over everything, and it was great. So yeah, so like. Check out Nikki's story when it comes out. And if you don't follow her on Facebook, do so. And, and Twitter. And Twitter. And check out us because I'm sure she'll post it on there. And it's good to get those I'll number toot bumps. I'll my own horn. It's good to get those number bumps with the, with the new brass. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's that upcoming. And um, Speaking of upcoming, what else do we have upcoming? We What else do we have upcoming? Oh, did you know? We could have a did you know now. <laughs> you just want to get right on it. Let's do it. Did you know? All right. This week's did you know is going back to the prog rock thing. Nice. Keep it all tied up nicely in a little bow for you. Because that's what we do. We just wrap things up for you because we're not experts, but we're experts at something. Production. <laughs> Although that was very, very jam band. Like where it was kind of like, just like, you know, just like. We went off on a tangent, but we brought it back And then all of a sudden it goes back to, and people are probably like, oh my God, this is the same show. Jesus Christ, is it ever going to end? Soon, people, soon. So this week's Did You Know is about prog rock. prog rock. And according to all music, prog rock began to emerge out of the British psychedelic scene in 1967, specifically a strain of classical symphonical rock led by the nice um, Purple <laughs> Harem and the Moody Blues. Are you ready? Like the Moody Blues. I love the Moody Blues. Really? I do. I saw them in concert and it was incredible. No, it's too much. I saw them in concert like on top of a <laughs> mountaintop. It's too much. The availability of <laughs> newly affordable recording equipment coincided with the rise of London underground scenes at which LSD was commonly used. Pink Floyd and Soft Machine functioned as house bands at all-night events at locations such as Middle Earth and the UFO Club, where they experimented with sound textures and long-form songs. Can you imagine, like, going to an all-night show of Pink Floyd? I would give anything. We seriously considered flying to England just to see... David Gilmore. David Gilmore perform maybe 15 to 20 songs. And it would have been worth it. It would have been worth every penny to make that trip. If we had pennies, but we don't. <laughs> Many psychedelic, electric folk, and early progressive bands were aided by the exposure from BBC Radio. And the DJ who was mostly part of that was John Peel, who pushed like that whole genre. Mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix, who rose to prominence in the London scene and recorded with a bunch of English musicians, initiated the trend towards virtua virtuosity is that a right virtuosity. word virtuosity it's pretty close you for somebody close. who you has mush mouth i'll give you like in rock music i'll give you a nickel for getting that right <laughs> well i'm five cents richer 
The Scottish band 123 later renamed Clouds were formed in 1966 and began performing at London's clubs a year later. According to Mojo's John Kenmere, some claims that they had a virtual influence on prog rockers such as Yes, The Nice, and Family. Well, good enough for me. That's this week's Did You Know. (laughs) Did you know? Just like prog rock itself, this week's Did You Know was a little more advanced. (laughs) (laughs) Advanced, There's a lot of big words in it. Advanced in reading. You know where where it really fucks me up more than anything? When there's people's names. And I'm just like... Here is. You don't even try. It's like I've used like the Steve Rule method. Here is Dank Wranglers of Jigglers Dengervans. Like it's just like German Germans, uh, Germans of Pink Nerd. Like I'm like I'm like look man. I feel like I've been reading for a long time, and I'm not a big reader, really. You, you know, know you I'm know. a Twitter reader. Like I'll be like, "Oh, I got to check out some news." You got a short let me span. let me check out Twitter. I'm like, "Oh no, there it is. Oh, there's a puppy video. Cool. Okay." And then yeah. it's like pretty much like that. Yeah. So you give me something like this, and it's kind of like you know it's going to be a struggle. Well, good thing that Neil, you know, has a really easy name. So say Neil Morse. Neil Morse, like it's a Morse code, and that's how you told me to say it that because is, otherwise yeah. Ah, yeah. I wouldn't have had exactly. it. Exactly. I was like, like Morse code. <laughs> I'll be like, Neil Morrissey. <laughs> That's another guy. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much to Neil Morris for coming on the High Regard Show. I really love talking to you. I really, really love the similitude of a dream, which I will admit that I had to spell out similitude phonetically so that I made sure that I didn't screw it up. Good for you. At least you went that far. Look at me. I'm just like, whatever. <laughs> but, you know, you definitely need to check Neil, um, you know, and the band out. You could find him at N-E-A-L-M-O-R-S-E dot com. And the similitude of a dream um, comes out on November 11th. Yeah, go check it out. And while you're doing that, check us out online at highregardshow.com. And if you'd like to write to us tonight about our prog ways, do so at highregardshow at gmail.com and you can always find us on social media as always high, always all right as high regard show toot your own horn why don't you that does it for us everybody i hope you all have a great week bye